you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi everybody, from LAist Studios, I'm John Raby. Over more than 10 years and almost 600 episodes, Off-Ramp told the untold stories of LA's people and places. And you know what? Great stories never die. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, welcome to Off-Ramp. Pepe Aguilar, welcome to Off-Ramp. This is Betty White, and you're listening to Off-Ramp. We're looking into a bomb shelter. People really remember the Atomic Cafe. We say tomato. They say tomato. Knocks him cold with one punch. You're listening to Off-Ramp with John Raby. Whoa, 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 he's a Raby. It's nine years of me screaming at him till his hair flies off. You know, I mean, it's a lot. I never stopped doing mariachi. I never stopped being on this Mexican side of myself. Never. I have friends who ask me, why do I still live in South L.A.? You know, it's home. Thanks for joining me as we dip into the Off-Ramp archive and explore Southern California together on Off-Ramp. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And by the way, uh, today we're going to play a whole episode from Off Ramp, not just a segment, but I got a good one for you. Before we do that, though, I want to thank you. Whether you are a veteran Off Ramp listener, you know, you listened on the air when it was on the radio and you're enjoying these segments from the archive, thank you. Or if you're a brand new listener, you're hearing these pieces for the very first time and they are helping you to explore Southern California to appreciate this crazy place we live. Thank you for listening. Uh, The podcast is a success so far. That's due to you. And let's make it more of a success. Please tell your friends about it. Uh, Leave a review. Do all the stuff, you know, you know, like and subscribe, all that kind of stuff. It'll really help the show. But again, I appreciate you listening in the first place. All right. So, you know, unless you've been living under a rock, you know, the baseball season has been delayed. But we're going to take that lemon and turn it into lemonade. We're not only going to take you to opening day, but we are going to erase COVID and make sure that the Dodgers win. And what we're going to do is revisit the day that we, as an off-ramp team, went to opening day at Dodger Stadium. This episode is from April 11th, 2015. This is Off-Ramp. I'm John Raby. We're not at Moan Broadcast Center. No, we're right off the third baseline at Dodger Stadium on opening day. Jimmy Rollins is up to bat. We've got Dodgers on first and second. The score is tied, three to three. There's a foul back to the screen. Coming up on the show, we're gonna meet Roz Wyman, the woman who brought the Dodgers to Los Angeles in the 1950s. We're gonna meet public address announcer, Todd Lights. There's a strike for Rollins. Todd's gonna tell us how to slow down your announcing. Next pitch in the dirt. Runners hold it first and second. We're going to meet Nancy B., the famous organist. Another low ball. I'm also going to have you meet Mike Brito, who is the super scout who discovered Valenzuela and Puig and 30 others. Another low one in the dirt. It counts three and two. That's all coming up on this edition of Off Ramp. It's 10.02 on opening day. John Raby here with Kevin Ferguson on the field of Dodger Stadium, which number one is pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah, I just saw Adrian Gonzalez walk by. 
Andre Ethier gave me a, a high five. He gave you a high five? <laughs> On what hand? In my dream. Um, now, watching them take batting practice, it's, it really reminds me of our time on the KPCC NewsHound softball team. And I don't know. I don't even know because I don't know baseball that well. Is there a mercy rule in uh, Major League Baseball? No, I don't think there is. I think there's no mercy rule. It just keeps going on and on. When you started at KPCC softball, the count was one and one. So you only got two strikes and three balls. But they're really, I know they're going to put a timer, a two and a half minute timer up in the field here at Dodger Stadium to push the game along, to make it go faster. That would really speed things up if they would just do that. I was talking to Regu Manavalan, our former intern, and he's made the point that the slowness of baseball is not a bug, it's a feature. You go to a game because it's going to take three hours. You don't have anything else to do. If you need to do the dishes while the game's on TV, just do them. It's fine. That's not the point of baseball is to have it be as quick as football. Introduce yourself, please. One of the voices of L.A. Radio. You're too kind. I am Vic the Brick Jacobs. King Flavor in the house for you. The flavor that you crave, the vibe that cannot be denied. Hello. How do you feel on opening day? It's a rebirth. It's revival. It gets you giddy, it gets you crazy. You smell the, the grass. I've already touched the grass. I'm one with the grass, I'm also one with the bamboo. But opening day at Dodger Stadium, the crown jewel, Chavez Ravine, there's nothing like it, it's unparalleled in the world of sports. What are you wearing? It's like a red carpet thing, isn't it? I know, I love that about you, John. Circa 1962, dinner jacket. Handmade, though, accoutrement, like a black and silver, sort of a glistening material with, of course, matching handkerchief on the pocket. Then I'm wearing a circa 1960 wingtip tuxedo shirt with matching studs, blue bolo tie, made in Austin, Texas, by one of the bolo masters, bringing back the bolo style. And, of course, I have black 1960s-esque tuxedo pants. It's like I'm going to a bar mitzvah. Best thing about tuxedo pants is they make them expandable. So true. <laughs> I, I've had these same pants for 15 years, and I love it. It's my go-to. It's my go-to pair, baby. Thanks a lot, Vic Jacobs. I'm feeling you. What's your name? J.R. Garcia. J.R. Garcia. Is this your old man? Yep. What's your name? I'm Jesus Garcia Jr. This is actually our third opening day. Third together? Third together. He's 11. 11. So do you even remember the first one? Yep. Every opening day, me and my dad try to go to every opening day every year. I want to keep traditionally with me and my son. I'm trying to fill up his whole wall with opening day banners and uh, go Dodgers. Do you play baseball? Yep. What do you play? Major League, Little League. What's your position? Pitcher, catcher, shortstop. How do you feel about your game? Great. Uh, what do you think about trading away Matt Kemp and Hanley Ramirez? Um, He's taking the fifth on that one. JR, did you get your hopes up last year? Kinda. We almost made it. Please welcome back to the Nashi. My name is Lieutenant Trad Dobbins. Um, it's myself and nine of my staff members from the Navy Operational Support Center here in Los Angeles. Uh, we were asked to go and, and uh, kind of open the flag for the pregame um, ceremonies and presentations representing the Navy. This is a pretty cool honor, it sounds like to me. Have you ever done this before? I have not. Uh, I've never, I personally have never been to a Dodgers game. I just moved out here seven months ago. 
so it's it's a huge honor for us, especially uh, being as service members, to go and, and be able to open up the flag and, and represent our country in, in our branch of the, the military. What kind of training do you do when you're unfolding a giant flag like this? Well, that's uh, one thing we're all going to learn right before we get out there. It's uh, it's it's kind of one of these, um, we're all going to be out there, obviously, trying to keep it in, uh, your military bearing with you. But that's uh, we're going to go to a training. That's why we're here so early, just to make sure we're doing it correctly and, and doing service to our Stars and Stripes. Doug Morrow's here. What's your job today? Uh, Lieutenant with uh, the U.S. Navy, came down from uh, Naval Air Station Lemoore, and we are uh, coordinating the flyover of two Super Hornets uh, today for opening day. 12.57, I believe, is when the anthem is going to uh, hit, and then uh, so probably about a minute or two right after that. So Where are they coming from? Uh, NAS Lemoore up near uh, Fresno, California. So they're going to fly down, hold right over the Rose Bowl, uh, and then uh, land at Burbank, and then they'll be here uh, probably around the fourth or fifth inning. Are they very loud? Uh, they should be pretty loud, hopefully, if, if they do it right. It's a, it's a sound of freedom. You should, everybody should uh, at least like it a little bit. So what do you have to coordinate here? What's the, like, on the ground here, what's your job? The, the biggest thing is just getting with the Dodgers staff and finding out when exactly the anthem is going to start uh, and really how long it is. Uh, the Jets can get here pretty quickly if they need to. Right. Uh, the big thing is they, they can't stop, though, obviously, if they're early. So right. uh, that's, that's the big thing is actually not uh, pushing them too soon to where they come, you know, right in the middle of the anthem or something. So. And have you been able to put your finger on why it's just so exciting to see planes flying low over your head? <laughs> There's something about it going fast and, and loud. Uh, that's, that's why we're all in this business. So, uh, you know, we, we've been doing it for a while and don't take it for granted at all. Opening day at Dodger Stadium on off-ramp. Justin Turner, yeah. uh, you are the utility man, right? Yes. You grew up in Los Angeles, and last year you started playing for the Dodgers. Tell me what that was like. Uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, my whole professional career I had spent on the East Coast, and uh, to get the opportunity to come back home and, and play basically in my backyard in front of my family and friends, uh, you know, it was a pretty cool experience. I, I hope that every guy who, who plays the game gets an opportunity to at some point in their career play play in their home city because uh, it definitely does make a difference. Yeah, I remember like hearing a story about Sergio Romo when he started playing for the Giants. He had to break the news to his family, and they were furious with him for a while. I guess it's not the same thing with the Mets, but like, is it like kind of welcoming news when you tell your family, like, hey, by the way, I'm heading out over here? Yeah, it's just a lot of excitement. Everyone... You know, it's happy to be able to get in a car and, and, and drive down the freeway to come watch a game rather than have to get on a plane and fly somewhere back east. So uh, where, where, when I was with the Mets, we come out here and play three or four games, and everyone tried to cram it into those three or four days, and now they have 81 games to choose from to come out and, and see me play. So, What's different about playing opening day? It's just all the anticipation and the excitement and hard work from the off season, and it all kind of funnels down to, to this point, to, to opening day, and finally got a group of 25 guys together, and you know we're all excited to embark on this journey. So you're from the Long Beach area, Lakewood area. Where do you eat when you're down there? What are your favorite restaurants? Oh, Mikasa in Lakewood. Uh, Never heard of that. Yeah, my family has a tradition, I don't know, for years and years and years. Every Friday night they go eat at Mikasa. Great family-owned business. Eli in there runs it. 
if you're ever in the area and you get a chance, go down and see Eli and uh, at Mikasa in Lakewood. All right, Justin Turner, thank you very much. Thank you. Leading off the bottom of the eighth inning for the Dodgers, number 31, John Peterson. The brand new announcer, the brand new PA announcer for freaking Dodger Stadium is here. It's a, a colleague of mine, worked at KNX, worked at KABC. Everybody welcome, Todd Lights. Thank you very much, John. It's so wonderful to be here. Opening day, I gotta admit, I got some butterflies. And, and you got this, I have to say, you got this job despite having a high, squeaky, just awful radio voice. Go figure, great? right? And, you know, last year I went through a, uh, a selection process with the San Diego Padres mm. to try to get the Padres PA job. And I finished in the top three, did not get the job. And I think in a lot of ways that might have led yeah. to this opportunity. And yeah. so I was ready when it came up. And uh, here I am now, and I'm ready to just take it on home. How is this different from radio announcing? I mean, the, the craft, the logistics and like that. And what I'm really talking about, I think, is the echo. Yeah, the delay is, is something that you have to deal with because it takes about a second for the sound to come back from center field back to the booth. So you really have to kind of put that out of your mind. I've dealt with that quite a few times before because I've sung the anthem here about a dozen times. And you really have to kind of focus on exactly what you're saying and not tr not listen back to yourself. All right, let's say uh, um, John Raby is going in to pitch in the eighth inning. How would you say that on the radio? How would you say it uh, when you're announcing as the PA announcer for the Los Angeles Dodgers? Yeah, I'm Raby on. is how it's pronounced. Yeah, Raby, got it. So got radio it. first. Yeah, radio much faster, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, now pitching for the Dodgers, John Raby. But in, for PA announcer, it's, you've got to take your time with it. You've got to let, let it breathe a little bit. Ladies and gentlemen, now pitching for the Dodgers, John Raby. No, they were saying Boo Earns. <laughs> You're right. Todd Lights, PA announcer for the Los Angeles Dodgers on opening day at Dodger Stadium. No, no, no. Just, just for the record, we faked that. Um, if I were sitting like I am right now in the front row seats... Opening day, Dodger Stadium. I would not want to see me walk out to the mound and blow it for our boys in blue. Another person who discovered that uh, maybe he wasn't quite cut out to play baseball is Farhan Zaidi. And he was playing baseball for a team in the Philippines, as, as he describes it, <laughs> a light-hitting first baseman. Uh, he realized he might be better at managing. And now... He's the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Farhan Zaidi, welcome to Off-Ramp. Thank you for having me. Okay, this is it. We've been through the off-season. We've been through spring training. Now it's opening day. What does opening day mean for you as the GM of the Dodgers? Well, I mean, it's, it's a time where we get to cash our excitement and optimism in and, you know, see the results of an off-season of, uh, you know, hard work and at times... Uh, overwhelming amount of work and getting to know these new surroundings. So for me, moving down to L.A. from Oakland and moving from a new organization, it's been kind of an out-of-body experience at times, you know, shuttling back and forth personally. And I think for me to see this team take the field on opening day will make the whole thing a lot more real, and I'm really looking forward to that. 
How nervous are you going to be about how they play? <laughs> Obviously, very invested in how they play. It's just really not my nature to get nervous per se. But, you know, I'm sure there will be, a, you know, the usual roller coaster of emotions that, frankly, every fan goes through watching their favorite team play. As GM, do you have the final say on player personnel? No, you know, it's interesting. I don't really think about a baseball organization or front office operating that way. Even, you know, in my last organization, uh, the Oakland A's working with Billy Bean, who, you know, I think is as strong of a leader as there is in a baseball front office. The decision-making process was very collaborative. We really worked towards building consensus in every decision that we made. And that's how things are going to work here. How important to you is uh, happiness in the clubhouse? You know, I, I get asked about this question a lot. Um, oh. And, uh, you know, not surprisingly, I, I think people look at some of our moves this offseason and think that they were made with uh, the specific intention of addressing, you know, uh, supposed issues in the clubhouse. As far as once you have your roster set, I think happiness in the clubhouse is important. And the way I think it manifests itself in is, you know, like with every sport, like with every team sport, there's a certain notion that, you know, sacrificing, you know, self for the benefit of the team can have, you know, real positive consequences in terms of outcomes. So, you know, having a positive clubhouse maybe means, you know, a player is okay with a platoon situation if that's what's best for the team. Having a positive clubhouse means maybe a guy who comes up late in the game with a winning run on second base will try a little harder to give himself up and move that runner over with a ground ball than he would be otherwise. There are very few Muslims in baseball management. I think you're the only Muslim GM of any sports franchise. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Are you very observant? I am. And does your faith come into play at work? I mean, not really. I don't, you know, it's not something that sort of affects the day-to-day operation, and it's not something I sort of really steer conversations towards. I mean, you know, as far as my faith goes, the, the biggest positive I draw from it is just an example of diversity in baseball, which, you know, to me is... Uh, something that our sport and our industry um, can certainly use more of. And so to the extent it's an example of that, that's certainly something that I'm proud of and that, you know, hopefully our sport, you know, continues to kind of move in that direction and, and bring a greater diversity both on and off the field. And and has it ever worked against you? Have, have you faced discrimination in baseball because of it? I, it's a totally fair question. And, you know, I'm, you know, I feel fortunate to say it really hasn't. And uh, lastly... If you were a Dodger player, which Oasis track would be your walk-up song? Oh, that's a good one. You know, I, I, I'm kind of like a, an Oasis snob. I kind of like some of the B-sides and, um, you know, lesser-known tracks. Acquiesce, which was a B-side on one of their early singles, is probably my one of my favorite songs and, and definitely the kind of upbeat track I would want as a walk-up song. Coming up more from opening day at Dodger Stadium, this is Off-Ramp. Here's the pitch. It's a high pop-up. And a fan from Dearborn, Michigan takes that one home. Hi, everybody. John Raby here back on the third baseline at Dodger Stadium on opening day. This is a special off-ramp. We've never done an entire show from Dodger Stadium on the first day of their season. So sit back, lots more to come. 
Test, test, test. Well, we got two fans here uh, who are, we're going to call them Jane and John. They don't want to identify themselves because uh, maybe they have to be at work. I don't know. Uh, Jane, it's your birthday? Yes, it is. This is the best place to celebrate your birthday. I come every year, but this year it's the first year it actually lands on my birthday. We get to drink. We get to eat. It's baseball. It's the Dodgers. What, what more can we say? Yeah, my name is Hiccups the Clown, and I don't mess around. Uh, my shoes are really big. They're size 15, and they represent, like, if you have a big heart, you got a big shoe. Right next to Hiccups the Clown is Blue Hog. Yeah, Robert Rocha, Blue Hog. The bigger the hair, the bigger the heart, right? <laughs> Hi, my name is Rob, and this is Leslie. We're from Riverside. Hi, Leslie. Hi. First opening day? 26th opening 26. day. 26th. Yeah, season ticket holder for 26 years. What do you bring to opening day? Our cell phones. I bring snacks and a mommy. Bring him. Sometimes. Do you like him? I love him. Thank you very much for your time. Have a great game. Okay, thank you. Go Dodgers! You can say that louder if you want. Go Dodgers! Thank you. Stepping into the batter's box, the Chicago leadoff man Bobby Morgan, and stepping into the microphone, here's Vince Scully. Vince? Thank you, Jerry, and good evening, everybody. And despite the fact that I have just knocked a cup of coffee in my lap and a suit that's just out of the cleaners, it's great to be home. So Sandy Koufax, a belated starter with Magley, the announced pitcher, out. And Koufax gets over the strike on one. Please introduce yourself. I'm Susan Stamberg from National Public Radio, and I have something to say about the Dodgers. Tell us. I'm a New Yorker, although I know you think from my accent that I'm a Southern Belle. But uh, growing up in New York... When the Dodgers left New York is when I stopped paying any attention to baseball. That's how upset I was, and so many of us were in those days. So good luck. I know they're here somewhere, but so what? How old were you when that happened? Uh, No dates, please. (laughs) It's enough to know that, that it happened that far back. Were you a little kid, though? Oh, yeah. Because little kids get so... Into that into kind it. of thing. Yeah. And, and then they can get equally heartbroken. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. It was heartbreak. And I hold the grudge to this day. Susan Stamberg, thank you for your confession. You're very welcome. I wonder how many attitudes I've ruffled, how many feelings I've hurt by this outrageous thing I just said. Go Dodgers. Oh, okay. In view of the action of the Los Angeles City Council yesterday and in accordance with the resolution of the National League made October 1st, The stockholders and directors of the Brooklyn Baseball Club have today met and unanimously agreed that the necessary steps be taken to draft the Los Angeles Territory. Fred, in the meantime, where do you plan to play? Well, uh, after we get out there, there are two parks that are available. Uh, Some discussion as to which we will use. It will be either Wrigley Field or the Los Angeles Coliseum or both. Tell me, do you definitely plan to build a new stadium? Uh, Mr. O'Malley has definite plans to build a new stadium, probably seating 50,000 in the Chavez Ravine. It's about 1.30 in the afternoon. It's opening day at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. The temperature is in the 60s. We've got sunshine. We've got Clayton Kershaw on the mound. And one of the big reasons this all exists is the person sitting next to me, Roz Wyman, former L.A. City Councilwoman, Thank you very much. It's an always exciting day, opening day. Haven't missed one. But I'm getting a little old for this. I'm going to be 85 this year. Seems hard to believe as all those years went that quick. Now, I didn't know how complicated it was going to be. I just thought you'd say, come. It was uh, quite, quite a to-do to get them here, I must say. 
but at some point you had to contact Walter O'Malley, the owner of the Dodgers, who was in who was in Brooklyn at that time, right? Well, I tried to get to Walter O'Malley. He he refused to see me. I was going to New York, and he said he thought I was just some other politician trying to use baseball for my own purposes. Give me, give us a sense of what Los Angeles was like at that time. Well, we weren't a very big, important city. Nobody thought we had any arts, which we didn't. Uh, we hardly had anything at that point. But what would having a baseball team do for the city? What did you think then? Well, it, one, it, it showed you were in the big leagues with the East and the right. East Coast. There was no team west of the Mississippi at that time. The St. Louis Cardinals were the furthest. The last day when I went to talk to him about coming, you know, I had all these great arguments about how good it was for our business and Dodgers would have great, but I said to him, you will not have rainouts. Now, how many years have they been here? We've had 17 rainouts only. It's a record beyond belief. But he wanted to stay in New York, and I could not believe. I've done a lot of radio or television shows, and I always said how stupid New York was. There's a, there's a legend that the Dodgers were responsible for displacing a huge number of Latinos who lived in houses in Chavez Ravine. Well, that story is 150% wrong. And before I die, I keep telling people, and people will say, oh, I didn't know that. The Dodgers, when O'Malley looked at this, it was clear practically, there was nothing here. That was five to eight years later, and there was nothing except about four houses. While we were talking, Frank Robinson stood up, and then Tommy Lasorda took his seat. You have good seats. <laughs> I want you to know that we picked these seats out when the stadium was being built, and I have paid for my tickets every single year. I never got one free ticket in my seat. <laughs> Hey, who's, who's that sitting next to Tommy Lasorda? Oh, that's Magic. Magic Johnson. Right. I wish they'd open this for television, my friend. Roz Wyman, thanks very much. You're very welcome. That's Roz Wyman, longtime L.A. City Council person, instrumental in bringing the Dodgers to L.A. Puig steps in. On the day Puig is 0 for 3, he'd like to, he'd like to do something before everybody goes home. The pitcher, Kelly, winds, releases. Puig walks. This is Off Ramp. I'm John Raby on the field at Dodger Stadium on opening day with legendary Dodger scout Mike Brito. Welcome to Off Ramp. Well, thank you. You're the man who found Fernando. You're the man who found Yasiel Puig. Yes, and a few more, 35 altogether. I've been lucky, very lucky. Can you say what it is that you see in a young player? Well, first of all, you're looking for the age, like you said, young player. If he's a pitcher, we're looking for the good arm, also the command with the other pitchers, and then you have to make your own decision on signing. But you have to be aggressive. I mean, you have to be lucky, you have to be aggressive, and be in the right time in the right place. But I, there have to be a lot of players who have a who have a good arm and a few pitches, or can or can hit. But is there a, is there something extra that you look for? Well, for example, like I see Puig, when I saw Puig. I saw him in Edmonton, Canada, and the Cuba, and the tournament when he was 18. I saw a good arm. I saw a five-two player, good arm, power, good hitter, good defensive outfield, and run extremely well. 
that's the kind of play all the scout dreams to have. And Fernando Valenzuela was completely different. He was a guy that knew how to pitch. At 17, he knew how to pitch. He knew how to move the ball around the play with good location. And another good poise. There's a few things, like I said. It's not easy. It's not easy to find a good player if you don't work for it. Okay. You are the best-dressed man on the field right now. Well, you know, when I was behind the play with the Raider gun many years ago, I always thought it looked good because I know I was on TV. So my wife, my wife's aware, I'll buy you the combination. She's the one that dressing me. Well, you're wearing a light-colored suit. You're wearing uh, a Cordoba penny loafers. You're wearing a brown belt, of course. You have all the rings on your fingers, all the World Series rings. Yeah, Terrific. One for 2015. Ah. I think we're going to have another one this year. And then a, 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 a beige, it's a, so darker beige pants, a, a, a very light or cream-colored coat, perhaps, with a cream-colored shirt, and then matching tie and handkerchief. This is something many men miss. I look at the middle before I come out of the street <laughs> and say, Mike, you look good. You can go ahead. <laughs> Do I look okay today? Oh, great. Great. You look great. You look great, too. But there's nothing distinctive. I didn't wear a single thing that's distinctive. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is a hat and a mustache and a cigar. Okay. <laughs> then you look another my brito. All right, thank you very much for spending time with us. Thank you so much for the interview. Mike Brito, legendary, legendary scout for the Dodgers. Can you hear the drums from Endo? The sound of a cheering crowd tells it all. The Fernando Valenzuela magic is alive and well, and who's to say when it will end? Can you hear the drums from Endo? This is Off Ramp. I'm John Raby. I've stepped outside Dodger Stadium so we can dig deeper into the history of the place. From here, where I'm standing, you can see into the parking lots, right into the stadium. There are some beautiful picnic grounds nearby. There's the skyline of downtown Los Angeles. And I'm here with a man who knows something about Dodger Stadium. His name is Richard Montoya, and he's a member of Culture Clash, which just recently brought back their famous production, Chavez Ravine. Hey, Richard, thanks for coming. I wish I had known about this point when the Paul McCartney concert was happening. <laughs> I would have come up here with a kegger and a couple of dudes from high school then and just listen to old Paul McCartney, dude. I like uh, the, the performance Chavez Ravine because it's, it, it presents a very conflicted view on the Dodgers and Dodger Stadium. Some good, some bad, not black and white. Well, it's complex history, and, and we try to unpack it carefully. The play loves Fernando, the myth of Fernando, and what Fernando did for working men and women, working Mexicans. You know, every janitor, every housemaid, every gardener in, in this town mostly felt a sense of pride that this, this Mexican kid, this 20-year-old kid in 81, came and, and, 
and won the hearts of Los Angeles in the way that Kobe might or Magic might. Right. I mean, listen, Chavez Ravine is only as is mostly ambivalent about the darker chapters in Los Angeles history and really the red baiting and the red scare that swept through the housing authority and swept up guys like Frank Wilkinson is because it was so well intentioned. As far as the Dodgers are concerned, we do get into the complexity of how Mexicans, you know, look back and and how they look at the stadium, but we try not to romanticize and we try not to say that it was the Dodgers that kicked out the Mexicans. It's simply not true. Yeah, the, the lack of black and white in the play. You don't say, wow, this was a beautiful neighborhood, but you say it was home. And you, you, know, you don't say everything was, was pristine and clean with the way the Dodgers came, but you say, well, they're here and we love baseball. We do say that the neighborhoods were worth remembering, and, and really through the poetry of Manazar Gamboa, a Chavez Ravine poet, they can place you on a porch, remind us the smell of night jasmine, the cacti, the herb lady that helped you when you ate too many green apples from Moore Park. Those are precious little things that are worth remembering. It's, it's not so much about how beautiful a neighborhood is because there's neighborhoods in Silver Lake that are beautiful, but it, it's, it's more is it worth remembering in a city that tends to cement not only its history but its rivers and its Hollywood sound stages. It is a magic place. L.A. comes together. In a town like L.A. where we are so disparate and spread out and 11 million in the county and to actually have a place where Angelinos gather, the older I get, the more and more I am appreciating that. So, Wait, What do you mean? As, as you get older, you appreciate it more. Why? Because I like to bring my four-year-old son to run the bases at, at Dodger Stadium. I will never forget the people whose homes were here 12 years before Dodger Stadium. But it's not even a guilty pleasure. It's a proud pleasure to come and, and, you know, root, root, root for the home team. Has Vin Scully seen how he's portrayed in Chavez Ravine? And what does he think? And, by the way, how, do, uh, how does the play portray him? Oh, I mean, just look at this day here. You know, hello, everybody, wherever you may be. Vin Scully, and it's just saying the word, the name Vin Scully gives you a little that that nasal, and, you know, he's a ginger. And we try to portray him well. It's funny because uh, talking to some of the brass at Dodger Stadium, um, a lot of them had come to see the show. One of the um, young Latinas had bumped into Fernando in the hallway, and she goes, oh, my God, I saw a play last night. And he said, well, you know, are they making fun of me? And she said, no, you're the god of that play. <laughs> and I think that's kind of apt. I mean, Aristophanes, I mean, going back to the Greeks, you know, he, he is godlike in, in this particular play yeah. that, that Fernando was able to 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 uh, converse with ghosts from the ravine in the middle of a of a of a of a, of a shutout, you know, in, in the middle of an intense game because his eyes look up. It looks like he's kind of a Mayan Aztec crazy guy with his eyes his wind-up was unorthodox you know and you go back to the game it's like what is Valenzuela doing here comes Tommy Lasorda you know to calm his rookie down and in that game Fernando takes these moments so we we had imagined that in those moments he was conversing with the ghosts of Chavez Ravine that act in and of, of itself is respectful to the Dodgers to Fernando and the residents that that uh, that, that left the ravine prior to the um, Dodgers coming to town Hey, Richard, the game is going on right now, so let's get back to opening day at Dodger Stadium. Yo! Let's go, baby! There was something in the air that night The stars were bright, Fernando They were shining there for you and me For Fernando My name is Nancy B. Hefley. 
I'm the organist for the stadium, for Dodger Stadium, for the last 28 years. How did you get involved in becoming a professional musician? I uh, started playing a piano at four and a half, and I was on the radio at five. So it started at a very young age, and then I picked up the organ when I was 13. I also did some accordion work, and um, my piano teacher wanted me to be a concert pianist. My accordion teacher wanted me to be a concert accordionist. So what am I doing? Playing baseball music on the organ. <laughs> You said you started at four and a half playing piano. What was your piano teacher like? Well, it was a young man, and he gave me a simple little song to play the first time. He played it for me, and then he started talking to me. And when he was talking to me, I played the song back for him. And so he said to my mom, well, she didn't learn anything, but I learned never play a song for her. There's all these settings here. What I don't notice is any sheet music. In fact, your sheet music stand is knocked over so you can see the press box. You're improvising all of this, or this is all from memory? About 2,000 songs in my head, and it's all from memory. What's the most recent song you added to the memory bank? I really haven't added anything lately. I've been trying to listen to some of the new ones, but there's so few with any kind of melody line, you know, so it's uh, kind of hard. Yeah, I can't imagine hearing blurred lines on an organ when it's just a drum beat and a guy yeah. singing. How do you pick a song for a particular moment? You know, it's funny. It's kind of how my brain works. Um, something happens and it brings a song to mind. What would you play if there was a fight? I stay out of fights. I don't try to encourage it. Rocky would be the thing, but I, I really don't really try to stay out of that so I'm not egging it on. I would thought maybe playing like a relaxing music might help. I have done that when there's been someone hurt. I don't like to play when they have actually just totally gotten hurt. But as they're starting to get better, then I play some calming music for that. I heard that this year you're taking a reduced role you're not performing as much during the game is that true well today there seems to be some more playing time so maybe some things have been done or said i don't know what is the first song you're going to be playing today the national anthem i uh, know my first song i'm playing at 11:45 for five minutes i've been told and my first song is going to be it's a beautiful day for a ball game Stay tuned, there's still much more to come. It's off-ramp from opening day on 89.3 KPCC. Hi everybody, as I said before, usually we come to you from the Moan Broadcast Center and that's nice, but hey, nothing beats opening day for the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. We were there Monday and we recorded lots of great interviews, so if you couldn't make it to a game this week, We've got you covered. Stay tuned. My name is Bobby Crosby, uh, big Dodger fan, season ticket holder since 1997, and I have a YouTube channel called Dodger Films. A lot of people know you for the video stuff where you video yourself catching home runs. God, that looks difficult. The key is it's just muscle memory of practice, of knowing where your hand is supposed to be. Your eyes are looking at the ball, and you're just hoping your right hand with the camera is in the right place. And usually I get a feel for if I had a good shot or not. It's pure luck, really, when I get a good shot. But I've caught so many that there's a lot of good shots now. 
What's the last like big fish you caught? The biggest was the only game home run I caught on the fly while filming was Andrew McCutcheon, who won an MVP a few years later. That was five years ago now, 2010. So he's my favorite non-Dodger because of that. And uh, he's a great player. And I really want to catch a Dodger game home run on the fly. That's, uh, that's the goal. Has your camera ever gotten annihilated by a ball? Never. It's never been hit at all. The worst damage ever done was when I dropped it in the rain, and it was fine, though, but I got a little dent in it. I've gotten lucky, because you never know when somebody right in front of you can deflect it, and it misses your glove completely and hits you in the eye or the camera, and I've been very lucky. Any good close calls or any good batting practice balls you got last season? Well, it's always good to get one from Yasiel Puig. Uh, He's my favorite player right now, and uh, I got one today. I'll tell you when there's more pressure is when you know Clayton Kershaw is watching you as you're about to try to catch a home run ball. And that happened to me last year in May. Justin Turner hit a home run. It was just perfect, beautiful, right to me, eye level. But as the ball's coming in, I just somehow notice, oh, Kershaw just turned his head to look right at me. And I go, oh, please catch this ball. Please catch this ball. And I caught it. And then I zoomed in on Kershaw. I said, did you like that, Clayton? He said, I did. So that was awesome. Bobby Crosby, thank you very much. Thank you. Petros Papadakis of AM570 is with us. Hey. Hey, it's great. It's great to see you, John. It's great to see you walking around and doing stuff and being part of the community like you are. You've done sports for a million years. It's still exciting on opening day. Yeah, it is. You know, I for even if you're not like a weird baseball head or a sabermetrician type or you don't know what the different stats are that they use these days, we are having a great time today. And last year, it's a lot better than than the... Last year was a lot more excitement, I should say. Better from the media perspective is that Yasiel Puig was late. You know, the Dodger Cuban sensation, 20-something-year-old guy, was late last year. So this time last year, it was utter chaos. You know, here behind home plate and everybody, everything had been set back. Uh, Everybody was in a weird mood. Everybody had a little bit of attention. Everybody that knew that he was late. So he was very much on time today. He mattingly said that he actually almost beat him in. It's going to be a great tranquil vibe in the locker room. Yasiel Puig, hours and hours early. Yeah. He almost beat me here. 7.25, I think, he arrived, so that's good. And it's pretty funny where all that, you know, the whole thing, everybody's here for one reason, and it can all come down to one guy's a little bit late, and the whole day turns upside down for everybody. Have a good show. Thanks, John. Petros Papadakis of AM570, LA Sports. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, Sorry, I'm making a shot right now, and then I'll hold on one second, okay? Okay. Pamela Herbert is the owner of the Sideline Sports Bar and Grill in Marietta, California. It's just tequila, but I super chill it, so that's why it looks like that. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so Pamela, you guys are an Angels bar? Yes. Are you an Angels fan? Yes, I am. I have a small place in my heart because the Dodgers, my grandpa and I, we used to always listen to the Dodgers, but I'm more of an Angel fan. So there's a New York Times article that is looks at people who are fans through Facebook of different sports teams, and what it found was that it's a pretty even split between the Angels, the Dodgers, and the Padres in Marietta. First off, I want to know if you think that's true. I would say yes. It's probably because we're all transplants here. We all came from either, you know, San Diego, L.A., Orange County. So I think that's why we have the blend. If somebody is born and raised in Marietta, does that change? Are they more likely to be a fan of the Padres? I don't know. Do you ever get Padres fans or Dodgers fans Of course, complaining? Yes. Oh, complaining? No. In the past, when we had, like, Angel game and Dodger games, then we raffled off tickets. We had red tickets for Angels, blue tickets for Dodgers. And 
whoever won the game, like if the Dodgers won whoever they were playing or the Angels won whoever they were playing, it would go into a raffle. And at the end of the season, whichever team had won the most games, the Angels or the Dodgers, we'd pick from that bucket and raffle off two TVs. So we try to make it fun, uh, the whole Angel versus Dodger thing, and do drink specials, and we make different drinks for each team. So as an Angels fan, how are you feeling about this season? I don't know yet. I had a lot of high hopes for us last year, and it kind of didn't come together. And I kind of feel like we still need some more pitching changes. Are there any super fans, like Angel super fans, who go to your bar? My husband is a super fan. Yeah. I, I would say we do have a few super fans at all the games, have season tickets. I mean, like, here at Sidelines, we're kind of like cheers. We have a really good crowd, and they all kind of know each other, so it's fun, like, the banter back and forth. Pam, thank you so much. Okay, thanks. My name is Angel Perez from San Diego, up here in L.A. for the opening game. You are the only Padre shirt I've seen so far. First off, that's brave. Second off, I love that it's the vintage brown. Oh, yeah, you got to love the brown. I mean, the current uniforms are great, but you got to go with the vintage. Whose jersey are you wearing? None, just plain. You're in enemy territory right now. Uh, it, it feels a little awkward. I haven't seen that many Padre fans, maybe less than 10. But you know what? It feels great. Supporting my team coming out from San Diego for the game feels great. Are you getting any glares or anything? A couple, yeah. Since I entered, I've gotten a couple, couple stairs. But you know what? It's okay. How do you feel about the season? The Padres have done so much to their team. It's crazy. You know what? As a matter of fact, our general manager has done the best offseason we've had in a while. I mean, we acquired Kim. We just got Craig Kimbrell, best, one of the best closers in baseball. You got both the Uptons. We got both the Upton brothers. It's looking like a really good season. Hopefully, the team performs. And, you know, we can win that NL West. Okay, compare the feeling that you have hearing all these trades to the feeling of experiencing last season, which was kind of brutal for the Padres. It's been like that for the past maybe five, six years where we haven't even reached playoff plateau. But, you know, it's looking on the up and up. Your friends aren't giving you too much crap, right? No, I, I got my girl with me. She's a Dodger fan, but it's whatever. She loves the Dodgers. I love the Padres. Have fun, man. Thank you a lot. This is what opening day is all about. It looked like the Dodgers might lose this game, but they've come back. They've tied at 3-3. Three three. Clayton Kershaw is out, but there's still hope. And all those people who left after the seventh inning to avoid traffic are missing a hell of a contest. The crowd thinks that the pitcher just balked. He's looking into the catcher. Ooh. Rollins just hit one into the Padres' dugout. Jimmy Rollins is one for three on the day. Yasiel Puig is next to bat. Here's the pitch. Rollins hits. Uh, it's a three-run home run. A three-run home run. The Dodgers take a six-to-three lead in the bottom of the eighth inning without Yasiel Puig having to swing a bat. It's easy to joke like the song, it's a beautiful day for a ball game, but it really is beautiful at Dodger Stadium. And part of the beauty is the plant life here. The meticulously manicured field, the thousands of decorative plants that are outside the stadium gates. Uh, they're even putting in plants in the parking lots to kind of reverse big yellow taxi. 
all of those plants are managed by one man, landscape manager and certified arborist Chaz Perea. Off-ramp producer Kevin Ferguson got up very early to explore that part of the Dodger Stadium story. It's before sunrise when I go in and meet Chaz. Already, his team's at work. Overhauling the landscaping near the stadium's sunset gate. Opening day is about a week and a half away. What are we going to do? We are going to look at plans under development, uh, clean up some basics. We're going to look at some cool plants that are going to deliver right now from one of our vendors. And we're in a golf cart. Let's go. We're in a golf cart. Let's jam. <laughs> Let's do it. Beautiful out. Perea is 29 years old. He's worked for the Dodgers since 2009, and at any given time, there's about 10 people working under him. He graduated from the Horticultural Studies program at Mount San Antonio College in Walnut, but he grew up in Arizona. He's diplomatic when you ask him what team he roots for. You know, I'm not going to state my team preference on on record. (laughs) Just say that. I support the Dodgers. Uh, I love the hand that feeds me. I'm very happy to be here. This is not a day I don't drive in here and go, are you kidding me? I'm running the show out here. Are you kidding me? I'm the landscape manager out here. Like, this is this is my plant palette, and I get to work out here and be part of this and make a change in it. And, yeah, it's fabulous. It's every day. It's, it's uh, kind of hard to hard to wrap your head around. First on the agenda, blue Mediterranean fan palms. Of course they're blue. A truckload just arrived, and his team dug up a fresh new planter in the middle of the stadium parking lot, where last season there was asphalt. 2015, we'll see an island of flora that's lush, pretty, and most importantly, drought tolerant. And this guy is going to love the heat. It's going to reflect sun really well. He's going to have a slow to moderate growth. It's going to use a fraction of the water that most plants would need. He says plants like these can go with as little as 12 minutes of watering each week. That's important for one of the biggest stadiums in California. The fan palms look great as they come off the truck. The team starts planting them, and we continue our tour. We visit the landscape management workshop and then the garden behind it where they keep extra plants ready to go just in case fans trample on the ones in the parking lot. We finish our interview just outside the top deck at the stadium. The sun just started rising over downtown Los Angeles. I ask him about the future. The drought isn't letting up anytime soon and they can't really let the grass on the field at Dodger Stadium go brown. Not only do we need to save water, but we need to be ready to, to work with reclaimed water because that's where all this exterior irrigation uh, is, is going to be pushed you know, in the coming years for all of us, especially big cities first. Reclaimed water is tricky uh, in the sense that it introduces a handful of salts into your soil that more or less don't get along with your plants so much. And that's, that's part of it as well. We want plants that can handle that. It's the same story for Dodger fans. Many are digging up their lawns or letting them go brown, or they live in apartments with no green at all. Chaz Perea and his team give fans an escape from all that. What better reason could there be to get up before dawn? For Off Ramp, I'm Kevin Ferguson. Two outs, bottom of the ninth inning, Dodgers lead, six to three. It's one and one. Alexei Amarista is up to bat. There's going to be a, an eruption of Mount Chavez in just a few seconds. The crowd is on its feet. Here's the pitch. High for a ball. Deuces are wild. It's two balls, two strikes, and two out in the bottom of the ninth inning. In you got to say it. Chris Hatcher into the wine. Swing and a miss. The Dodgers win opening day. It was a close call for a while, but the Dodgers take home a victory. 
perfect opening day at Dodger Stadium. That complete episode of Off Ramp originally aired April 11th, 2015. Thanks so much for listening. I'm John Raby for LAS Studios. Our theme music comes from Fesslian Studios. I'll catch you next week on the Off Ramp. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.